We have been going through the book of Hebrews for the last nine months or so. And we're starting the last chapter. Now, as as Pastor Joe shared earlier, it's going to be a little bit broken up because uh, despite how I just, I campaigned for it, Joe just did not want to preach, obey your leaders on Mother's Day. I don't know. Um, Something just didn't feel right to him, but I, I thought it'd work. But, you know, anyway. Um, so we're going we're gonna to start Hebrews 13. We're going to take a little bit of a break um, because we also do want to share some things with our graduates um, as, as they uh, celebrate um, their conclusion to um, high school. And so we've got a couple things, but, but this week we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, turn there. Uh, there's some Bibles there on the uh, chair backs if you need one. As I was reflecting on this sermon, it's, it's going to be a very different sermon than we frequently preach. One of the things we may want to make sure we encourage that, that all of us get is that we can't do the Christian life without Christ. It is the Christian life. It's the Christ life. And so any attempt on our own to try to live up to some bunch of moral standards, whatever they might be, whether they be good or bad, any our attempt, any attempt on our part on that, it's going to fail. And yet this text, and really this chapter, is very much about how do we live ethically in this life. And so what I, I hope to do in this, this sermon here, and what I, I think Hebrews does here, is it ties together all the things we know about Christ, and who He is, what He has done, with how does that hit the road in our personal lives when push comes to shove? We, we've talked about the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better. And, and what is He better than? Everything. He's better than any other servior, Savior. He's better than any other supernatural being. He, being. He's better than any sacrificial system. He's better than any religious act that you could perform. He's better than all that. He is also... He is the better way to live. He's better. And so we're going to get into that today. And as I was reflecting all of that, one of the things that, that hit me as I read through this, and by the way, I want, to, I want to give you kind of the end of the sermon before we get there. This sermon ends on encouragement. So if you feel like a little, little you know, sternum punch coming through this, I, I, by the way, I hope we all do because we all kind of need it. Um, don't fret. Like, we're going to end on a really high note. That's why we read scriptures like God loved us and made us his children. Look what kind of love. It's not just how much love, what kind of love. So we're going to get there. But we've, we've got to understand that there are things, because Jesus is better, that he calls us to live in a certain manner. So we're going to get there. But, but in reflecting this, one of the things in history that I remember, and I remember, yeah, I'm not a huge sports fan. By, by that, I mean I'm not a sports fan at all. But <laughs> I love, love, love uh, the movie Sandlot. Y'all, y'all remember that one? Just a, just a fun kid's movie. Um, but the whole like, theme of that movie is built around Babe Ruth and, and a ball that he had signed um, and one of the things they recount two or three times in that movie is the famous time he got up to bat, and, and the legend goes, and there's, there's some pictures in film, he did something like this, we don't really know what he was thinking, but he, he pointed to the outfield, 
and then proceeded to hit a home run that direction. Before the pitch was ever thrown, he said, like, I got this, going, smack the ball out of the park. That's impressive, right? That's just about as far away from how we come to this text today as conceivably possible. We don't come to the moral demands of Scripture thinking like, yep, yeah, got it. Check. We come as beggars. Remember in Revelation, Jesus gives moral commands and He says, but you are wretched and poor, naked and blind. So come buy from Me perfect clothes. Well, well, wretched, poor, naked, blind people don't have any money, right? He's saying, just come. I, I got this. I got this. So, so let your heart just... Just breathe, because we need to remember Hebrews chapter 13 that we're about to read here comes after Hebrews chapter 1 through 12. Amazing how that works, right? And and remember what we have studied, that we have a great Savior. And this great Savior paid for our sins, paved the way for us to live a holy life, and His death is so good and so complete on the cross that He also made the way for you to live a practically holy life. It doesn't mean you're going to get it perfect. Trust me, I don't. But we're going to strive toward that. Not because we're so great. Not because this is easy. But because Christ on the cross has made a way for you. He has made a way for you. And so we want to embrace all of who Jesus is, and that includes our moral life. So, read with me Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. We're going to read the whole thing. We're going to split it up into three little sections here. I'm going to read the first verse because it's only four words twice, because we've got to get that one to get the rest. Ready? Hebrews 13, verse 1. Let me read it twice to you. Let brotherly love continue. That's so Kim. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Verse 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Let's get into it. I I read one of my favorite commentary series. It's called the Classic Christian Commentary Series. It's old stuff. And so this this, uh, section was written by a man named John Owen, who's a Puritan. John Owen did not write light books. I mean, his, his book on how to 
uh, try to improve your life and how to fight sin. It's like 400 pages, and it takes about 30 to 40 minutes to read a 10-page chapter, and you've got to read it about 10 times. Like, it's a, he is a beast to read, but so good. And he had a comment on this passage that, that it just made it click in my brain. How does this, because this just seems like a bunch of random commands. Like, Hospitality, prison, you know, money. I mean, it's it, like, how do I do with that? Um, try outlining that one, um, kids. This is the one, if, you're, if your teachers give you this passage to outline, like you're in trouble, right? But it, it makes sense when you get the key. Just like the door opens when you put the key in, right? If you use the wrong key, doesn't work. With the right key, it works. And and so I want to read to you um, what John Owen said, and then then I'll unpack it a little bit because it's again it's a dense statement, but it's so good. He was a pastor in England. He says this: Love is the fountain and foundation of all moral duties, both moral and ecclesiastical. Let me, let me read that again, then we'll kind of talk about what it means. Love is the foundation and fountain of all moral duties, moral and ecclesiastical. So, so in other words, here's what he's saying. And this is what the passage is getting at. Here, here's where he comes from. That first four words makes the rest of the passage work and make sense. Let brotherly love continue. In other words, keep on loving all the folks in this room and a whole bunch more as your brothers and your sisters in Christ. Treat them like family. And, and not start this, by the way, he's assuming the best about folks. He's like, let it continue. You're doing this already. And then let me commend you churches. My family has seen this week, as, as my wife's been in Romania, um, a lot and a lot of pouring out of love. And we, we appreciate this. So don't hear this as a, a slap. Hear this as we got to keep going. We've got to keep going. Let brotherly love continue. And what John Owen said is this, this brotherly love, it's the foundation. It's the base from which we build. So for instance, if someone wanted to take me to lunch, all right? Hey, you're, you're, we're in church together. We need to, let's get to know each other. And they take me to lunch and they want to buy my lunch. I'm always up for that. That's, that's, that's a great thing, right? And so... We get time for the check, and they say, oh no, I got that. I have to. You're my pastor. That's what i got to do. Hope you enjoyed it. Like, there, there's no, <laughs> that's not generosity, right? They may be paying for my lunch, but they're miserable about it. If love isn't the base, Everything else moral that might come out of us, every ethical thing we might do, is going to fall very, very flat. And so, so John Owen even goes this, the whole moral and ecclesiastical, uh, ecclesiastical thing. That's, that's he's saying moral, so this is just random day in the street. The reason that we ought not shake our fist and have a hissy fit when the guy cuts us off in traffic sitting on that one this week uh all all of that is because we ought be showing them love because christ loved us when we were his enemies we ought love them right it's moral that's the foundation of moral but it's also ecclesiastical in other words stuff you do in church 
So, so the reason that we treat each other the way we do in this congregation, I'm speaking obviously to members of Providence. If you're a guest with us, we're really grateful you are here today. Thank you for coming. I know we've got some family out of town. Thank you all for coming and worshiping with us today. Um, but the reason, Providence folks, we try to really care about each other The reason we want to pray for each other, we pray for the A's on the first day of the month and the B's on the second day of the month. And the the reason we send texts to each other to encourage one another, the reason we do all of this is because we love each other. The reason we try to follow a biblical structure of leadership is really boring, but, but it's actually because we love each other that we take the time to do all that. So what John Owen said is, you got to get the first four words before we can get into all these specific moral commands because it's, it's the foundation. All of this has to come out of love. But he didn't just say foundation. He also said the fountain. And this, this is what encouraged my heart this week. All right, I, I, we can do this because of what Jesus done. Everything flows out of love. So Joe and Chad. Extremely dear friends. We're around each other all week. Uh, Debbie, too. I don't know if if Debbie uh, is here this morning, but um, like we're around each other all week. We love each other, genuinely. We are friends with with each other. It's such a blessing to work with your friends and then be on staff at a church with your friends. I mean, that's awesome. It is not hard for me when Joe sprained his ankle to help pitch his trash. I think two or three times, you know, Chad and I. He, he had the truck full of trash, and we added some church trash, and we went and pitched all this stuff. at the. That was not a hard thing. I care about him. I don't want him hurting his ankle worse. It's not a hard thing for them to totally understand this week that my schedule was just nuts because I was solo parenting having to run and pick up kids. Like, they did not complain about that because it flowed out of love for me, it was a fountain flowing out. It was, it was a water source that, that actually did something. They truly loved me, and that love got feet and did something. And when we truly love one another, that's what's going to happen. And so what we're going to do is we're, we're going to build on that idea of love in three specific ways today. The first one, if you have a little bulletin, you can fill this in. Um, We want to love through hospitality. This is verses 2 through 3. Love through hospitality. So let me encourage, again, I'm solo parenting this week, so I got to pester my kids, but I'm going to pester all the kids, all right? So elementary guys, ladies, if y'all know how to write, some of my kindergartners, um, get that bulletin and actually fill those words in. I know it may not be the most exciting thing. I know you don't understand everything here. Some stuff doesn't apply. We're talking marriage later. Some of that doesn't apply to you. I get it. But elementary kiddos, if you'll just take that time to write that down, it will help you remember, all right? So do that. Us adults, it helps us too, but um, kiddos, try to do that today. So we're to love through hospitality. And some of y'all have already pictured Martha Stewart in her apron, you know, getting ready this, you know, pulling out the china from 10 years ago. That's, that's not necessarily, although it might be, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. So look here in verse 2 with me. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, since you also 
are in the body. Hospitality is inviting somebody into your life and loving them in a very practical way. It's just that simple. Now, obviously that oftentimes means inviting them into your home and fixing them a meal. Because we're human, we've got to eat, right? And we also like to eat. I, I have met very, very few people in my life who don't really enjoy a good meal. They may have to be careful about it, they may have some dietary, but like, we like to eat, right? So I'm not saying it's not that. But it's more than that. It's loving people practically. It's loving people practically. So it was incredible hospitality this week when I was offered someone to pick up my kids from school. Hey, you need me to pick them up. I'll make the drive. We'll get them home. Whenever you get done with work, just let me know. And I don't know how many times I was offered that. that was, there was not a meal. There was no fine china involved. You know, no aprons. But it was a huge help. We were offered someone to bring us some meals two or three times. I know we got a meal coming this week too. How many times is the practical offer of hospitality just something really simple? A hug? You're welcoming someone into your life. Seeing somebody who's sitting alone Making the intentional, awkward effort to say, Hi, I'm John. Can I join you? Or would you come join me? Picking up your phone and sending the text to the brother who's having a cruddy day. I want to brag on my wife. She is the most dedicated texture of people I have ever met in my life. It, it, so we, we share our calendar on the phone, and she actually calendars time to text people and ask how she can pray for them. And she does it a lot. She's really good at that. We all need to get good at that kind of thing. Just simple acts of hospitality. But maybe it's meeting some physical needs. And I think that's kind of what's you know, implied in this first thing of inter, uh, some of uh, shown hospitality to strangers. Man, when you meet that person in church for the first time, make sure they have lunch. When that person does get down with the sickness or their husband gets down with it, let's make sure and take them some food, care for them, and love them. This whole thing about strangers and angels, it's kind of a little weird that nobody really exactly knows what he's talking about here. I mean, I have looked, I've studied all this. Uh, Angels can actually mean pastors. There's other places in Scripture it means pastors. It's not really clear. It seems like most everybody thinks this is just talking about sometimes an angel shows up to lunch, and that's really weird. Um, But it's just that you never know who you might be caring for at that moment. You just never know. Back then, they didn't have the written Scriptures yet. I mean, obviously, we're reading what was written right then. Uh, And so there would be pastors come through, apostles come through, and you might not know them, and they were to take care of them. 
They were to love them well. They were to be generous and kind. And, and if you're like me, when you hear this command, it's like, oh yeah, that's good. We have been so out of practice at this for the last two and a half years due to COVID. Because, I mean, you, you know, you're scared. Okay, what if I invite them to, you know, lunch and, you know, they're, they're, they do a different mass thing than I do. Or, they're, you know, they're, I, I don't want to make them feel... Like, it's been weird. Let's just go ahead and let that be established. Wherever you're at on this, you know, politically, health-wise. Like, it's been weird, right? But we got to get the engine started again. It's time. It's time to redevelop that culture of caring for each other practically. Show your love to each other practically. Talks next about prisons. That got serious real quick, right? Think about who these people are. There are people who are being persecuted for their faith. There's a high likelihood the person in prison used to sit next to them in church. Most of the people were probably those who had been put in prison for their faith. It doesn't say that. We don't know that. And I'm sure there were others. We need to take seriously those who are in harm's way. Whether that is a literal prison, or they're just the folks that don't fit. I mean, catch the next statement there too. Those who are mistreated. You see his reasoning for that? It's like, yeah, y'all got a body too. Y'all know how hard it is. I think the, the thrust for us, although some of you, God might put it on your heart, of, hey, I need to get involved in a prison fellowship, prison something to go. We need to do that. But, but we need to see, he's not saying show hospitality to the nice, clean, fun, popular people. He's saying look for that one. It's all by themselves. Look for that guy or that lady that does not fit, that has no social skills, that, that whatever it is, they have had everything bad happen and they are just down. I, mean, I like going out with happy people, right? That's who I want to go to lunch with. Now the call is to go beyond that. Remember the Scripture that says, if you only show love to your brothers... What good is that? Everybody does that. Everybody shows love to the people they love. We're to show love to those who nobody wants. Teenagers, y'all have massive opportunities here. Because there are lots and lots of people at your school who are really struggling, who don't fit in. And it's easy to spot. You can be that person who shows love to them, who shows hospitality. I know you don't have a house yet. You know, again, you don't own China. You may never, hopefully not. But, but I mean, like, you can show hospitality by showing them love practically, by inviting them into your life, by being that friend that they may not have. Uh, yesterday, my kids and I, Went to a conference, big big nerd day. It was really fun. Um, back to go with the roads, and we, we had a great time. It was a great break from, from the stress of life. 
But there was a guy there who just wanted to talk. And I got to tell you, I could barely understand him. He mumbled so bad. He was extremely socially awkward. But the moment somebody was friendly, he just started just going, 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 going. I did not have any interest in what he shared with me. I'm not going to lie. It was, I didn't care. (laughs) But this gentleman was hurting. And it was not hard to see. And he was lonely. And it was not hard to see. So a listening ear was a gift of love. Of listening and engaging and caring. Because he's a human made in the image of God. God cares about him. God loves him. In that situation, it was really loud. I didn't get to share any of the gospel with him. But these are the doors that get kicked open for the gospel when we care and show hospitality. Particularly to those who are hurting and are on the outside. So let's do it. Let's do it. And I know this is hard. This doesn't feel good because we're not good at this. And we, we haven't been, we've almost intentionally not been doing this for a while. Like, we've got to get going again. So don't beat yourself up. But let's take the step to do what God calls us to. All right, number two. First, love through hospitality. Second, love through holy relationships. Love through holy relationships. Verse four. Listen to what it says again. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Like, okay, got serious, right? Hard hitter. But I want us to, before you react, particularly that word judge in there, that's, that's, that's a hard word. It doesn't feel good, right? Let's make sure we come in and let's actually listen to what the Scripture says. Because the moment you heard the word marriage, about a million different things went off, right? For some of you, it's a reminder of a struggling marriage and fighting and lots of negative images. For some of you, it brought up a dream that has not happened. For some of you, a longing that's so deep, you don't even know how to respond it or how to articulate it. For some of you, that's so distant. You know, like, all right, check good on this one. No, I, I want you before you go there, just pause. Let's let Scripture speak. And look at those particular words, that first piece of the command. Let marriage be held in honor among all. This passage doesn't start with married people, even though it's about marriage. It starts with all of us. Now the application may be different depending on where you're at in life. But marriage is something created by God. It's not just something to be considered by those who happen to be married right now. Let's make sure we see what God is doing, what He's building here. He's building a way of thinking about relationships. You see, how could you honor marriage? How could you honor the fact that God says the way we're to do long-term relationships 
That I've created something called marriage. It's, it's one man and one mo- woman committed for a lifetime. How do we all honor that? Well, if you're married, let's, let's start with the low-hanging fruit, right? It means that you need to love and honor your spouse. It means you actually need to invest in your marriage. I know in my brain, and I had people tell me this lots and lots, but I, I mean, we're all, we got the blinders on, right? When I got married, I assumed, get married, like, we're good now. Like, check, we're done, let's go. Commitment fulfilled, this is easy now. And uh, the next day I woke up and, and realized, like, <laughs> it takes work. I'm married to a sinner and I'm still a sinner too. Like, this is going to take some work. And I don't know how to do all the stuff in marriage. So it means you need to invest in your marriage. Studying, learning, reading good books on marriage. We can give you some. I've got one in the, the outline there. Spending time with your spouse. Actually creating time to enjoy your marriage. Dating your spouse. Showing love. Remembering that foundation and that fountain. This is where we start. And everything I do needs to flow out from it. You need to be actively engaged in your marriage. But not just your marriage. Because I, I, wherever you are at, however long you have been married, how, whatever you have learned, whatever you haven't learned, sometimes it's the bad lessons, don't do that, um, that are the most powerful. You need to share with other couples. Help them. There's something you've learned that they haven't. You need to help them. Be intentional. Actually put effort into marriage. For our engaged couples, I know we've got a few, and I want to speak to you specifically. Honoring marriage means preparing well for marriage. And just tuck this in your hat if you are at some point hoping to be married. Actually take time to get good marriage counseling. And good premarital counseling is not easy. Uh, Joe and I, um, we tend to do most of the marriage counseling around here. Uh, part of our strategy is poke the bear. All right. Just openly and candidly. Like we want you to have your fights now. So you're not having your fights later. So we ask really hard questions. And we don't mean that in a mean way or anything like that, but like we want you to actually deal with some stuff and it's hard. It's hard to learn to communicate well. It's hard to learn to fight fair. It's hard to learn to show respect to your spouse. It's hard to learn to handle money well in a marriage. Like that stuff all takes work. So put in the time and effort, engaged folks. Actually do premarital counseling and throw yourself into it. That's a way you can honor marriage. Put in the hard work now. So that in the long run, you can have a marriage that displays Jesus' glory, the beauty of Jesus and the church in your marriage. For those of you who desperately want to be married, and you're not, maybe you've even been blessed with the gift of singleness. You know you're not going to get married, and that's okay. It's a gift from God, according to Scripture. Maybe you're younger, it's not time to get married. Don't do two things. Don't think marriage is God. And don't think marriage is the devil. 
We, we tend to go the, you know how we, we, we like swinging pendulums, right? We never want to go right in the middle in a healthy way. We always want to swing it this way or that. Some of us have a tendency, and boy, this was me before I got married. Marriage was God. I had to get, I like, that's the destination. It's going to be good when I get there. That will make you miserable now. And it will absolutely hurt your marriage. It will hang an albatross around your neck of your marriage. Because you're trying to make your spouse your savior. They are not a good savior. Jesus is a really good savior. Your spouse, future spouse, the person you hope to be your spouse, they are a lousy savior. They will not save you. And if they try, they'll be miserable. And if you try to make them, you'll both be miserable. So don't make marriage God. But don't make marriage the devil either. Marriage is not out to get you. Marriage people don't have COVID, all of them at least. Like they, they're not somebody you need to stay away from when you're saying, oh, you know, I can't hang out with them, they're married. Like, don't do that. It, I know it's awkward and weird sometimes when they're married and you're not. Like, jump in there and don't think that marriage is against you. It may not be what God has for you. But don't treat it as the devil. So the second piece of this. Let's keep the marriage bed undefiled. Read, read with me again verse 4. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. So what this says for all of us, at least those of us who have gone through puberty, means you're a sexual sinner. Not, not some of you, like those of you sitting in green chairs, like all of us. I can sit down too if that doesn't quite work for me, but yeah, I'm included. And you are called to fight that sin, whatever it may be, whatever level it may be. Again, the, the, the particulars and the levels, they're, they're different. But you are called to keep something sacred and holy that God has made sacred and holy. And that's the marriage relationship. So wherever you are at in that, whatever sin that might be there, and it may not have crept up for a while, praise God for that. But we're to all keep the marriage bed undefiled. So I, I, I want to put it like this. God has created sexual relationships for marriage, one woman, one man, for a lifetime, and it is to be a good, wonderful thing in marriage. Most of y'all know I love woodworking, and it always drives me crazy when certain individuals I'm married to uses one of my tools the wrong way. I'm not going to say who, but you know. I just like, oh, no, 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 no. Because that's not what it's made for, and that means you could either break the tool or you could do something wrong. So I have a picture. Porter, this, this is the moment. Skill saws are really useful. <laughs> that would not be the way to use a skill saw. I don't know if this picture is, I, I, this was on the air. I don't, it may be fake. They may be putting on a show as a joke. I don't know, but I don't think it is because I've seen people do stupid things before with tools, power tools particularly. Uh, there's some to be, you know, you switch on the tool, you switch off the brain. I don't know. Like, that's a good tool. It cuts things. 
That's a really bad way to use said tool, right? Because it cuts things. And, and he's headed for an area you don't want to cut, right? God has given us a good thing. A precious, amazing thing. But He's given us how to use it. And when it's used outside of that, there's going to be pain. There's going to be suffering. But, but most importantly, we're not worshiping Jesus. Again, I could give you, we could talk all the time. Students, like, a lot, a lot of this is for you. I'll be blunt, but adults too. But, like, we could try to tell you, here's all the hundred bad things that will happen if you don't follow the Bible's commands on sexual ethics. And yeah, there's some bad stuff that can happen. But ultimately, the reality is, when we choose to sin, we're choosing not to worship Jesus. And Jesus deserves our worship because He is better. So every moment you choose not to look at that sinful image on your phone, you are praising the Lord Jesus. You're saying Jesus is better. And we want to say that over and over and louder and louder. So let me ask you today, don't let shame rule the day. Jesus forgives sins. And again, the, the bottom line is we're all sinners in this area. If you've gone through puberty, like you've already messed it up. I, I get it. Like it's going to, hey. But will we turn to Jesus Christ, His love and forgiveness, who takes us and makes us His children? And will we pursue the worship of Jesus Christ by maintaining sexual holiness? That's the call. That's the call. Love through holy relationships. Love brothers and sisters in Christ because that's your parameter for relationship. That's the one the Bible gives us. And love your spouse. Those are your two options. And then love folks who need the Gospel. It's the fountain and the foundation for all of it. Show love. Even in our sexual holiness. Alright, final thing. Read verse 5 with me. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Alright. <laughs> money, sex. Be really nice to everybody. I like it. Just a small sermon, right? Yeah, I'm not covering a whole lot here. Money is a blunt instrument. If you use it well, it's very powerful. If you use it wrongly, it harms people. Money is also a magnifier, like a, a magnifying glass. If you've got a little problem with how you handle your money when you have a little bit of money, what more money is going to do is take a magnifying glass and just make all that really big. As I was studying this week, one of the things God reminded me of is all the stupid things I did not do because I didn't have money to do them. 
this is one that I'm not good at. I'm not a very content person and I, I have to pursue this because we're not to use money for our own good. Money's a tool, just like all this other stuff. We're to use it for other people. Look, look at this. Keep your life free from the love of money. I want money. I love it. I love it. I love it. Mine, 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 mine. Be content with what you have. Don't be jealous of all those other people. Money ought be used for good. If you have some money, it's a blessing of God. Praise God for that. Use it well. Not on yourself. Doesn't mean that you shouldn't buy what you need and take care of yourself. It doesn't there's not certain levels of cars out there that are okay and certain ones that aren't, you know, that you don't you don't need to get thumped because of the brand car you like no none of none of that stuff. It's not how much money you have, it's what do you do with it and what is your attitude toward that money. Do you love your money more than Jesus? That's a big problem if you do. Do you love the money you don't have more than Jesus? That's, that's a big problem. Are you content? And I don't mean complacent. It's not wrong to work hard. It's not wrong to have a good job. Uh, Jesus' buddies. Remember where the Lord's Supper happened? We're about to take the Lord's Supper. Remember where the Lord's Supper happened? In his buddy, a rich dude's house. Big enough to host 12 guys in the bonus room. Right? I mean, like, Jesus had lots of rich friends. This is not about how much. It's about your attitude toward. Is your money about you? Or is it a conduit through which you can love other people? Let's remember what God made this for. Now, how many of you felt like at least one of these, if not all three, kind of like, you, you, you feeling it? Like, I felt it all week, trust me. Here's where I want to go. This is the good part. All that, I, I think the writer of Hebrews, whoever it was that, that God used to speak through this, I think he got it too, because I think as God was having him write all this stuff down, <laughs> I'm, I'm no good at that either, God. Look at where it goes here. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. For, because, for, he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Elementary preschool kiddos, does that sound familiar from this morning's lesson? Who's he quoting? Well, he's quoting himself. God's quoting himself in what book, I should say? Where'd we hear this? We heard it this morning. Joshua, right? All right. How about Jesus, too? It's all over the Bible. I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am here. So when we see all these sins, all these failures in our heart, where that be in how we care and how we love practically other people, our, our own sexual holiness, how we treat our spouses, time we've invested in our marriage, our money. Yeah, we can mess that up a lot, Right? God says, I'm right there. At that moment, you were at your worst. I'm right there. I'm not leaving you. I'm not going to leave you in that sin. I love you way too 
much. Be encouraged. At that worst moment, Jesus said, I'll I'll never leave you and forsake you. All these commands I've given you, I didn't just give them to you. Go figure it out. All right, have fun. No, I am right there. God loves you so much. He sent Jesus to die for your son. Jesus rose from the dead triumphantly, reigns forever, ascended to heaven. And in Revelation, it talks about how now he's just walking around his churches. He's with us. He's not leaving you to figure this out. His death was enough to make you holy. To shape you to look more and more like Jesus. It may not happen next week. Won't for most of us. But there is an active change happening. That's why it's so important to consistently be in the Word of God and be among the people of God and hear the preaching in the Word of God because this is the, the drip, the drip, the drip that makes you more hospitable, that increases your sexual holiness, that, that makes you better with money and your attitude with money. This is the change. It's being in the presence of God and God's people. He never leaves us or forsakes us. So don't let guilt rule the day. That's that's not helpful. Maybe it needs to wake you up. Oh my. Oh, whoa. I've been trying to excuse this sin forever. Or maybe it's I know it's a sin. I just did it again for the millionth time. Don't let guilt rule the day, even if it does need to wake you up. We need to be turning our eyes to Jesus. And then, look at verse 6, we can confidently say, we can stand up when we come to sing, the Lord is my helper. Ten years from this day, it's my prayer that you say, God helped me and actually changed me. That's where my marriage was. But by God's grace, here's where my marriage is. The Lord has been my helper. He's actually helped. I will not fear. So don't go out into tomorrow thinking, I'm just going to fail again. And here's, here's the caveat to that. You might. But God will never leave you or forsake you. So don't fear. Don't be burdened with this. What's the worst anyone can do to you? This passage ends with the encouragement of get your eyes on Jesus. He won't leave you. He won't forsake you. He is there. He's made provision for the sin you've already done. And He's made provision for the holiness He's going to guide you in for the rest of your life. So turn to Him. Jesus is better. Let's pray. Father, help us teach us and change us. Make us look like You, Jesus. We know we do before the Father that that when we stand, we're standing as Your children made holy and pure and clean. Not because of what we have done or not done, but because of what You have done for us, Jesus. But Lord, practically help us to live like who You've made us to be already. Let love be this foundation, Your love first for us that, that then establishes something in us and flows out to everyone else. Help us, God, please, in Jesus' name. Amen.